I want to share this morning with what God has put in my heart a couple of weeks ago. And the theme of this message is training yourself to be godly. Um, and so I want us to really come to the word of God to understand how we are supposed to do that. And so first Timothy chapter four, the Bible says in verse seven, which is where we're going to focus on this morning, it says, but refuse profane and old wives fables. And exercise yourself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, bodily exercise, it doesn't say there's no benefit in it, but it's not a benefit eternally. But to exercise yourself godly into godliness is a benefit right now in your life and for your eternity. And so I think that if we're going to be wise people, then we need to understand or at least examine our hearts. Am I exercising myself in a godly way that's going to be profitable to me right now while I live and in my eternal future? How foolish would it be for people, we call ourselves wise, for people to believe that you're going to live forever somewhere, but you spend most of your time concerned about your physical health and your physical well-being. You're not stopping the aging process, all right? So you know this is happening to you. You've got doctors in your life. You've got diets in your life. You've got all types of medications. You probably spend hundreds of dollars a month on health benefits and things of that nature. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. But what I'm saying is, if we would spend a fraction of the time to the godliness of our life, as opposed to the physical things of our life, if we believe in eternity, then we would really be more wise in doing that. Because you're going to live forever. And so I just want you to consider this this morning. What does it mean to practice godliness? And some people would think, well, it's how much you go to church. It's how long you've been in, in Christianity and how devoted you are to the Ten Commandments. And, you know, that you practice those things. And you don't cheat. You don't steal. You don't drink. You don't smoke. You don't overeat. You don't do all of these things. And so that's practicing godliness. And then I've got to be in the Bible. And I've got to study the Bible. Bible and I've got to memorize the Bible. I need to memorize scripture. That would certainly be the practice of godliness. And I need to put myself with Christian people and I need to learn how to behave godly. And certainly that would be the practice of godliness. And I just want to say doing all of that would make a Pharisee, but it would not make a Christian. It, it might make you appear godly, but it will not make you godly on the inside. And so you can do all of that and really waste your time and really not be a godly person. The Bible says that the Pharisees, they certainly had a righteousness that they attained to. But Jesus said, if your righteousness is not better than theirs, you're not going to heaven. And these were holy men, you know, but you're not going to heaven if your righteousness is not better than theirs. And there's probably not a person in this room whose righteousness in yourself is better than any of the Pharisees. The Pharisees have us all beat in regards to an outward form of godliness. And if they're not going to heaven, you're not going to heaven because you can make your flesh behave 
in some way that people are impressed with your Christianity. That's not going to help you either. And so there's a righteousness that comes to us by faith, and that is the righteousness of God. And that is a righteousness that is given to us by God through Jesus Christ, which immediately qualifies us to live forever with God. Then we practice that godliness, all right? The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 that one of the great tragedies of the end times is men will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. And so I want to kind of break you from just this mentality of thinking, okay, the practice of godliness, Pastor Lee's going to talk to me about tithing, he's going to talk to me about offerings, he's going to talk to me about Bible study, he's going to talk to me about church attendance, he's going to talk to me about scripture memorization, he's going to tell me how I need to obey the Ten Commandments. No, I'm not. Because you can do all of that and not be godly. I want to deal with what the scriptures say as to what true godliness really is. And to me, this is very exciting because I think it shows that there is an awful lot to Jesus Christ than what most Christians know. And so I want you to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. And I wanted to read, well, actually the end of chapter 4. And I wanted to read this. I'm sorry, it is chapter 5 of Hebrews. And he says this in verse 12. He says, for when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong drink. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those, now listen to this, who by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And I want to just present to you, that's the beginning of the practice of godliness. It is learning how to exercise your senses to discern good and evil. All right? It's learning to do that. For example, people, when they traditionally come to the Christian church on Sunday mornings, they're very stale, they are boring, they look dead, and they look uninterested. I think there was a worship service in Baton Rouge last night. Am I correct? Over 120,000 people in the LSU Stadium worshiping with Garth Brooks. Were the people boring? Were the people stiff? Were the people not drinking and jumping and dancing and lifting their hands and celebrating? But when you go to church... Make the Christian God dead. But make the God of this world alive. We, we are so dead in our senses that we have no ability to discern the good from the evil. So you make God's presence dead and you make the devil's presence alive. This is what I want us to talk about. Because I want us to understand what it truly is in order to be able to have a life of godliness and a life that is really joyful and beneficial. So Paul says to the Corinthians, the Corinthian believers, I don't have time to go back into this, but he says to the Corinthian believers, he said, you're born again and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said, all of the gifts operate in your church. This is 1 Corinthians 1 through 2. All of the gifts of the Spirit operate in your church. You don't lack in any understanding. You don't lack in any gift. It's probably the most charismatic 
Christian church of the first century. And they had a reputation for that. But Paul said of this church that none of you are spiritual. You are all carnal and therefore he couldn't give them meat. So listen to me. You can be born again. You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can have the gifts of the Spirit operating in your life so that you don't lack any gift, any knowledge. But you yourself can still be very carnal and very immature and not spiritual. All right. So, so don't just think because I had this experience. It's made me a spiritual person. And I want you to understand this in Ephesians chapter 1 and in Ephesians chapter 3. I just want to bring this evidence to you that there are things in the Christian life that are not automatic. They have to be sought. They have to be practiced. You have to believe that they're there. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says in verse 15, and I hope you will gather from this that this is obviously a prayer for the Christians. He's not praying for lost people. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love to all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him. So if you're born again, you need this. You need the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You need your eyes, the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. Y'all, that's the practice of godliness. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and that you might know the power of God. That's the practice of godliness. To become real spiritual people. In Ephesians chapter 3, he again prays for these believers. And he says this in verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Not your head. Not your intellect. Not your mental capacity. But I'm praying that you would have strength because what has he revealed to us? There is, as a Christian, there is now an inner man. It is that inner man whose senses must be exercised to discern good and evil. It is that inner man that God is wanting to communicate with so that you have eyes of understanding that are enlightened. So that you have a heart that can know things from Ephesians chapter 1. But most people have no concept of their inner man. And they spend most of the time on their outer, their flesh man. Trying to make the flesh behave. And so this is his prayer. That you would be strengthened with might by the spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ. Listen to me. Listen to me. If God is not able to strengthen you in your inner man, you will not know the unsearchable depths of God's love. You can read about it. You can learn about it. You can know Greek and Hebrew about it. You can teach Bible studies about it, but you won't know it. And so that will mean just carnality with the lack of experience. And so if you want to know God's love, then there has to be a desire in you for the Holy Spirit to give you power in your inner man so that by faith you can experience. It doesn't say no because it goes beyond your understanding. 
But you can experience the love of God. Now, what Christian would not want that? What Christian would not want the Holy Spirit to fill them like that so that they can really know the love of God? Many Christians are being taken out today. They, they, they question God. They question God's love. They question God's goodness. Why? Because they're not spirit-filled. They're carnal. They're immature. They don't have their spirit, their, their senses exercised. Their inner man is not strong. Their inner man is very weak. They see everything through their natural eyes and their natural understanding. And God is to blame for every problem. But if the Holy Spirit would strengthen us, we would begin to see. And we would know this love of Christ. Now unto him that is able to to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. World without end. Amen. So God is able to do it. God is able to do this in your life. You have to believe God to do it. And that is the practice of godliness. The practice of godliness is the desire To have an inner man, an inner life that is fully awake and fully alive to God. That is moving not by feelings, but by the unction of the Holy Spirit. Not not just simply faith. Faith and unction work together. Many Christians today confuse this with faith and feeling. I don't even know why feelings get brought up into it. It is faith and unction. Not faith and feeling. And so this is the important thing that we have to believe. Now there are things by faith you're going to have to believe. You're going to have to believe you have an inner man. You can sit there this morning and say that's absolutely crazy. Okay, you can say that and that's fine. You will just continue to have a dead life with no experience of God and no knowledge of God's love. But if you desire to allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen that inner man, then you will begin to find that there are senses in an inner man that are as real to your spiritual life as your physical senses are to your human body. And we use our senses in our human bodies all the time to relate to one another and relate to the world that we live in. We use our senses all the time. The sense of taste, the sense of smell, the sense of sight, the sense of hearing, the sense of touch. We use that all the time. You used your sight to get here. You've used your hearing. You've touched things. You've tasted things. You've smelt things. All of these things just help you to understand life is normal. You get up in the mornings and all of a sudden your sense of smell smells something electric that's burning. All of a sudden you know life is not normal. Something is going on here. There is a smell in the house that should not be there. Something is burning. I have to go figure out what it is. Right? Your sense of smell kicks in. And you begin to operate in that regard. Well, spiritually, if we don't exercise our sense of smell, how are we going to smell if something's wrong? How are we going to see if something's amiss? How are we going to hear if there is another voice that is speaking? How are we going to do that? Well, you can't. You just got to take that human's word for it. Or you've got to trust your own intellect to be able to know certain things about God. I don't want to live like that. I want to live with a strong inner man that hears the Lord, able to walk with God and able to know, just like you can hear in your spirit that Jesus is coming soon. The end of the world is upon us. Christians seem to be falling asleep faster than the world is. The world's talking about it all the time, you know, 
talking about it all the time. And so I want you to understand these things about the inner man. The Bible says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, some of you, you've never done that and you, and you just don't even believe that it's possible. Another passage in Psalm says, all your garments smell of myrrh and aloes and kesa out of the ivory palaces. God has a smell. There is an anointing on God. There is a smell on God and he has a smell. There's also a satanic smell. There's a smell of the devil. And you can smell him. You can smell him when he's there. It's a foul stench. You can smell God. And you know when God's presence is there because you can smell him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever smelt him? Have you ever tasted him? Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. Have you heard Jesus' voice? Or have you just lived your whole life hearing the voice of a preacher? Have you heard Jesus' voice? It's either true or it's not. In Matthew, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you see God? Do you see him? Do you see his hand? Do you see his work? Do you see what he's involved in? Do you see what he's doing? Most people today don't see God anywhere in the world. I see him everywhere in the world and what he's doing in the world. So I'm just saying there's a lot more to Christianity than, than we have really realized And a Christian that's living through this world that doesn't taste and know that the Lord is good. They can't smell the presence of God. They don't hear the voice of Jesus himself. They don't see God in life. What a depressing Christian that is. And no wonder we're not leading many people to Christ. Because it's just a theory to us anyway. And so what does this mean to you? And I want you to understand there are organs that you have that need to be used in order to know God. This is the practice of godliness. It is to exercise those spiritual senses. And let me explain it to you this way. If I'm going to go to a symphony, I'm not going to listen to the symphony with my eyes. I'm going to use my ears to listen to the symphony. And if I'm going to go watch a sunset, I'm not going to do that with my ears. I'm going to use the organ of my eyes. And if I want to know God, I must use the organ of faith. I must exercise that and I must move because of that faith toward God and toward what he says. If I'm going to have the reality of that faith and the experience of that faith, it's just so important for us to understand it. You're constantly using your physical body to adapt to this world, but there is a spiritual world all around us. And most Christians are totally oblivious to that spiritual world that is in this room. Angels, demons, God, all in this room. And most people are totally oblivious to that. But there is a spiritual life and a spiritual aptitude that can know it. I think one of the most critical things for parents today is that they have a strong inner man. So that they can smell things going on in their, in their homes. They can, they can look into their children's eyes and see what is really going on there. You know, because you're, you're so aware of that spiritual world. But it seems today that Christians are moving more and more and more, not into the world of God, but to the world of the occult. Christians watching these shows, this witchcraft, these, these, these Harry Potter things, these vampire movies, these, these things that are going on in our culture today, they're more in tune to that than they are the thing, to even let that in. 
is ludicrous to their life. And yet it seems to happen all the time because we don't really take it seriously and what is going on seriously. So we've substituted theological ideas for true encounters with God. I want a true encounter with God. I really do. I thank God for preachers and ministers and teachers. I thank God for that. But every time somebody does, I'm constantly going back to God and saying, God, I want to experience the truth they've just taught me. I thank God for the skill and the anointing they had to communicate that with me. But I want to know you like them. I want to get that meat myself. I don't want to just nurse on somebody's breast because I didn't have the ability to chew the food up and digest it myself. I want that. I don't want to be a baby in Christ, right? And so to me, this is so exciting as a Christian that God has all of this stuff there for us to be able to experience and to be able to know with him and full him with him. We're full of religious notions, but our greatest weakness is that for our hearts, there's really no one there. He's just we're asleep to him. But true Christian experience must always encounter God. Always. God has always wanted your heart. He has not wanted your, your, your mere confession or your mere agreement. He wants your heart and he wants an encounter with you. And these senses that we have spiritually, and I read a few of them to you from the Bible, must be exercised. Now, Jesus said this in John 14. Listen to this. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while. And the world sees me no more, but you see me. So I ask you that. Do you? He's not speaking poetically. Do you see him? But you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. At that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved by my father. The emphasis is not on commandment keeping, it's on love. And I will love him. And listen, I will manifest myself to him. Have you ever experienced that? And there is a, a world of difference between contact and communion. Because Saul experienced contact with God when he was demon-possessed, when David would play his worship. Saul would have contact with God. God would come in the midst of David's worship, and it would give peace to Saul, and the demons would be driven out only temporarily because Saul was in the midst of God's presence. He had an experience with God's presence, but he had no communion with God. So as soon as David was finished, the tormenting spirits came back. And that's what happens in churches. People go to church, and they get blessed, and they get happy, and it was reinvigorating, and it was wonderful, and all. And then come Monday or come Tuesday, the world has run us over again, and we're dealing with depression and discouragement and all of these things again, because we've had contact with God, but not communion with God. And so God wants us to have communion with him. And that means more than just a moment where I can say, I experienced his presence to where we can say, I live in him and he lives in me and he's manifested himself to me. So it's a real question. It's a real question. When was the last time Jesus manifested himself to you? When did it happen? What was the day? What was the month? 
What was the hour? What was going on? Surely you remember. Surely it's there. And if you don't, let this provoke you to a richer and fuller life in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And he tells us this. I will love him and will manifest myself to him. If a man loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. And we, listen to this, we will come to him and make our home in him. Think about that. I mean, God, the father and the son actually living inside of you. That's why Christians are the way that they are. It's not because they're good people. It's not because they're disciplined people. It's not because they have no desires in their flesh to li- live it up as the world says and drink and, and, and drug and sex and everything. There's every temptation in their flesh for all of those things. But at some point in their life, God stepped in. And he, and he made a fundamental change in their life. And this is salvation. Salvation's not in your head. Salvation's in your heart. Salvation is not what you know about God. Salvation is that what that God knows you and that you know God. And so the Bible says that God seeks. Now listen to this. He seeks to he seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Why does God seek those? I'm seeking those who worship me in spirit and truth. Last night at LSU. They were worshiping the devil. Unashamed. Just the, the devil's world. The devil's music. The celebration of sin. The celebration of drunkenness. The celebration of infidelity. For hours. They were in that stadium. Celebrating that. Just celebrating it. Because the devil's not going to settle for anything less than your enthusiasm. And so God likewise says, I am seeking those who worship me in spirit and in truth. And why is God looking for that? Because nature is only compatible to nature. And God is spirit. And they who worship him must worship him in spirit. It is not worshiping God from our traditions. That might make us a Pharisee. But not a spiritual person. And so we've heard the I heard it growing up. I don't know if it's popular today. You know, a dog is a man's best friend. I mean, it's cute. But if that's the truth for your life, I feel sorry for you. A dog is not my best friend. It's not my nature. I have no communication with it. I have contact with it. I have experiences with it. But I do not commune with it. It does not help me. It does not consult with me. There's no wisdom that's shared there. Because we're of different natures. So in the world of men, people are my friends. And in the world of God, if I'm to be a friend of God, I must be spiritual. So God wants to commune with me spiritually. 
So the stronger my inner man is, then the more communion I'm going to be able to have with God. It's just like a baby. You know, my sons, they turned 28 last Friday. And so when they were born, you know, they were like this baby. And so they're born. There's, there, there is communion. There's, there's desire. There's longing for, as the baby grows up that this baby is not only going to just spend the rest of her life being nurtured, but this baby is going to be able to grow up and have communion with her mom and with her dad, right? And so that's what happened with my sons. They were babies and they were in our life and that we were nurturing them and we were caring for them and we were training them and we were raising them. But now my sons are in communion with me. They serve on my board. They serve in our church. They serve in our worship. They're friends of mine. My daughter as well. They're friends of mine. We have relationship together. It has grown because they have grown in the capacity to communicate with me and to love me. That's the way it is with Christians. You grow in that capacity to communicate. And love God and be with God and be aware with God. But if you just live in your flesh and your carnal ability, your carnal understanding, your ability to carnally make yourself do what you think God wants, you're missing it completely. And you may fool a lot of people and look very, very godly. You may even have gifts of the spirit operating through your life. You might even be a very requested teacher. But it doesn't mean you're spiritual and it doesn't mean you're mature. And it could be the fact that we've missed everything. And wouldn't that be a tragedy? Not that you miss heaven, but that you just miss the full life that God really intended and wanted you to have with him on earth. Where he's manifesting himself to you. So I ask you the question again. When was the last time? What was the day? What was the month? What was the moment when God actually came to you and manifested himself to you? You heard him speak to you because my sheep hear my voice. Have you heard his voice? Have you heard him speak to you? Have you smelt him? When he enters the room, are you aware of it? Because it, it just like takes your heart. You know, you just, your, your heart just begins to beat so much faster inside of you. Because the one that you love has just showed up. And you know it. And it's an incredible sensation spiritually to be able to know God. I'll say this last thing and then I'll close. Paul, if you want to come up. This last thing that I'll say to you is this. And don't have time to go into it and actually read it this morning. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that the natural man cannot know the things of God. They are spiritually discerned. But we have not been given the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that are of God. For no one knows the things of a man, save the, man, the, the mind of the man that's in him, or the spirit of the man that's in him. So likewise, nobody knows the things of God, except for the spirit of God, and to them that the spirit of God reveals it. So if the things of God and the, and the ways of God are spiritually revealed, what is he revealing to you? What's, what's fresh? What's growing? What's new? What, what senses have been exercised so that your Christianity is actually being enlarged? Your capacities are being enlarged. For example, this. No eye is seen. No ear is heard. 
Neither has it entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for those that love him. Does it stop there? What's the next word? But. God has revealed them to us by his spirit. So there are things that God is wanting to show you your eyes cannot see. Your ears cannot hear. Your emotions cannot begin to feel. But God has given you a new life, a new man that has the capacity to see it, hear it, and enjoy it right now before you even get there. And I just say, do you know it? Isn't it exciting that it's there? And we can have this life with God. So I just want to close right here. And I just want to give you an opportunity. Just where you are to pray. If you want to take a moment. Come to the altar. You can pray. And I want you to pray. Just Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. That should be parents prayers for their families and their children. It should be our prayers for one another. God give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the knowledge of Jesus. God let us know your power. Please God. Let us know the riches of your inheritance in the saints. Let me know that, God. It's not automatic. And if you really want that, if you really want, say, God, is it possible to smell you? Is it possible to hear you? Is it possible to see things that my eyes cannot see? Is it possible for me to know things in my spiritual heart that my physical heart cannot know? God, if all of those things are possible, I want it. I want you to move on my life because as Ephesians 3 says, but God is able.